We are going to get excited about church this morning. Hashtag excited about church. Now, I've presented it in that form. And if, if that doesn't make much sense to you, hopefully, as I go through it and explain, it will. Uh, and, and if it does make sense to you, then I'll explain why I've put it in a hashtag format again in a little while. Okay? So, um, turn to your Bibles or turn your Bibles on. Uh, whichever you have, to uh, Luke 5, and we're going to go from verse 17. So Luke 5, from verse 17, just hold your thumb in it there, because I'm not going to read it just yet, because I want I to preach something today that I, I hope will get you excited about church. If you are not excited already, I hope it will get you excited even more about church, because I want to tell you this morning that I believe in church, more specifically I believe in the local church. In fact, I strongly believe in the local church. That the local church, as far as I'm concerned, is the greatest promoter of Jesus Christ that we have in this nation. Okay? You are allowed to say, yes, come on, and nod your head. You're even allowed to smile. That would be good. I think the church is the greatest gatherer of Christians. There's not a greater moment in the week, I think, where hope is presented globally than on Sunday mornings in local churches all across the world. Could you imagine our world without the local church? Could you imagine what it would be like without the local church? I can't. And I'm convinced that local churches are at the very center of God's plan to redeem and restore this broken and hurting world. Amen. I think local churches primarily carry out Matthew 28's mandate or, or what's known as the Great Commission, which is to go and tell others about Jesus and to make disciples. Local churches are often the fuel of transformation as they bring salvation, grace, healing, and life-changing things. And they bring those into communities, into regions across the entire world. Local churches all over the world preach the gospel. They help the homeless. They help the addicts and the brokenhearted. It's primarily the local church that offers prayer, hope, marriage restoration, emotional restoration. It challenges human evils and tragedies such as sex trafficking and poverty. In fact, I read, um, I read an article in, in this month's Premier Christianity magazine, and it's from an audit done by the Cinnamon uh, Network that the church in the UK contributes more than, get this, 288 million voluntary hours across the UK. Just in the UK. 288 million voluntary hours, which equates to, if you were to give it a monetary figure, is worth more than three billion pounds. So that's three billion pounds worth of time given to street pastoring given to caring for the elderly, facilitating job clubs, and, and loads more projects, as well as those that I mentioned just a few moments ago. Wow! Isn't that cool? Yeah, it is. Now, understand this. I know that there are many secular charities that are doing some amazing work too. I, I acknowledge that. But I think that Christian charities, and particularly those that are tied strongly into a local church, are even better. Because when done right, they bring much more than just serving a need or, or helping out in desperate situations. What do they bring? They bring the Spirit of God. Now that deserves an amen. 
They bring the Spirit of God with them, not just good social works. That is absolutely outstanding. I don't think there's anything more powerful than the local church in our world. There's, more, there's nothing more powerful than the local church when it's working right, when the Holy Spirit is in charge, and when God's anointing power is on a church. I think that's the most powerful experience that you can ever witness. And why is that? Because quite simply, but most importantly of all, Jesus is at the heart of it. Jesus is at the center of it. Jesus is the hope of the world. Uh, A local church offers the world Jesus. And that that brings me to uh, this mantra by a guy called Bill Hybels who is a pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, which is a large U.S. church in Chicago. And his mantra is this, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world because it has Jesus at its center. Now, in a perfect world, I think people should attend church every week. I believe that the church, as it offers Jesus, brings hope into the world. So let's get to that scripture I mentioned. Okay, so we're going to go from Luke 5, 17, and here we go. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. I mean, they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up onto the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easy to say. Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. What an absolutely uplifting story that is. Freedom Church, it is time that we started seeing some remarkable things. It's time to get excited about church. It's time to lift the roof off our expectations and start believing in ourselves and what we can achieve as a local church. It's time we started seeing ourselves as God sees us, which is a force for good and a church that will advance his kingdom. Can I get an amen to that one? Hallelujah. It's time to get excited about church. It's time to lift the roof off our expectations and see beyond our present reality. It's time, I think, to dream big. It is time to dream big. So here are three ways that I will help us, I think can help us do this. It is time to get compassionate for people. 
The world needs more compassion. We need more compassion. Compassion is at the very heart of God. Let's just read again one of those verses from Luke. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof, lowered him down on his mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Why did they do this? Why did they do this? Compassion. Compassion is what drove these men to help their friend. Jesus was preaching. He was healing. This place was packed out. It was rocking. There was no room. They tried to walk into the building, but it, but it was standing room only. Man, it would be amazing if we had a church that was standing room only, wouldn't it? Yeah, come on. But you know what? That didn't stop them. Oh, no. They knew that if they could just get their friend in front of Jesus, it would be life-changing. Begin to think about where I'm going with this. If they just only get their friend in front of Jesus, it would be life-changing. I just said Jesus is the hope of the world and Jesus is at the center of the church. You know, in biblical times, houses were generally built of stone and had flat roofs made of mud mixed with straw. And they had outside stairways that led to the roof. So these men had to carry their mate up these stairs. And when they reached that roof area, they took a part of much as the, the mud and the straw as they could. And then they began to lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And they didn't have to do that. They could have said, well, buddy, I'm sorry, it's packed. <laughs> they could have just left. They could have said, maybe next time, maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after. But they didn't. They carried their friend up these stairs, ripped open the roof, and then lowered him down on his mat. And Ben pointed it out this morning. But did you notice that the next verse is an interesting point in this story? It wasn't the paralytic man's faith that impressed Jesus, but it was the faith of his friends. This is what verse 20 says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus responded to their faith and then he healed the man. For better or worse, our faith has a very real impact on the lives of others. Your faith can lead someone to Jesus. Your faith can grow someone in Jesus. Faith is contagious. I became a man of faith because people around me showed me real faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be compassionate for people and then have enough faith for others. So what does our compassion look like? What do our lives look like? In the God's Word translation of the Bible in Romans 15, verse 2, it says this, We should all be concerned about our neighbor and the good things that will build his faith. We should all be concerned about our neighbor and the good things that will build his faith or her faith. Number two, it's time to cooperate with others. It's clearly shown in these verses in Luke that these men had to cooperate with one another. 
Let me ask you a question. Have you ever carried a man up a flight of stairs and lowered him down through the roof? Anybody ever done that? I, <laughs> I certainly haven't. Uh, and I imagine that it takes some real cooperation to, to, to make that happen. That's a real unity of movement, isn't it? Luke 5.19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went onto the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. The saddest feeling I have when I look across the global church is that one of the greatest things working against the church is disunity of the church. Now, I would absolutely not say that this is the case with Freedom Church. Because I actually think we're pretty good at connecting with others. And do you know what? A number of churches are in Leeds as well. We're pretty good at connecting. And we're getting better. In fact, there was a student here last week, Joshua, if you remember him. Um, I went, went to have lunch with him afterwards. And uh, I was just chatting to him. And after a while, I said, look, it'd be great if you want to become a part of, of Freedom Church. But I understand you might want to go explore and check out what's happening around the city. I said, you know, there's, there's Gateway Church. They've got loads of students. They're really nice. I really like the leaders. Oh, and there's Hope City. They're just down the road. They're really... Oh, and, there's, oh, and if, if you're a bit of an Anglican bent, you can maybe go to St. George's. And I just started listing off these loads of these churches and leaders going, they're really nice. They're really, really good people. And they're doing amazing things in the city. And by the end, I was encouraging them to go elsewhere. Don't come to us. There's so many other good places in Leeds. <laughs> but the global church, I think, suffers from disunity. And disunity is destructive. And just yesterday, as I was, I was reading through my um, New Living Translation reading Bible plan, I came to these words spoken by Jesus, and they're recorded in the Gospel of John. It's John 13, verses 34 and 35, if you want to note it. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Genuinely loving one another, first and foremost, is an essential component of unity. How else can we tell the world about Christ without it? To not show love to our Christian brothers and sisters shows the world hypocrisy and distrust. And, you know, we should make no wonder then that, that folks might not want to connect with the church in either a global or a local setting if that's all they see. The birth of the early church in Acts 2 could never have happened if the 120 folks weren't in complete unity. The Bible says that they were all in one accord. In full unity, complete cooperation. I mean, what, what other words might we think when we think about unity? Unite, join, align, support, encourage, edify. They're just a few. So then why does it seem like it's so hard to edify, to build up? to lift up, to encourage. I'll tell you why. It's because of a fallen human state. It's easier to tear down than it is to build up. It's easier to put down and destroy than to build up and lift up. It's like a jokey story which illustrates a simple but really powerful point about how we treat one another. And this is a story about a married couple 
A woman standing in front of the mirror says to her husband, I can't believe this. I'm so out of shape. I'm old and wrinkled. My hair is grey and I'm no longer pretty. And she looks at her husband, desperate for some positivity, for some encouragement, some building up. And he replies, babe, it's okay. Your eyesight is amazing. (laughs) But in that really silly story, you can see how easy it is to tear down. He shouldn't have said that. We need to encourage, edify, build up. We need to be stopping so critical, so judgmental. Casting judgments and exhibiting a critical critical heart causes disunity. It's destructive and it's toxic. And I feel, as I was writing this, I feel it's important to say this to you, a very personal thing. I want to ask for forgiveness from you. If you've ever felt guilty or condemned by me from anything that I have ever said, primarily from this pulpit. My role as leader of of this local church is, is to encourage spiritual growth. And sometimes this does mean saying things that are there to, to prod and to provoke and to challenge. But this should never be at the expense of you feeling worse about yourself. And so if I've ever done this, please forgive me. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm going to sugarcoat stuff either. But I, I want to encourage you to put whatever you hear me say in future, whether it's in this context or, or in a one-on-one, I want you to know that I'm saying it in the context that I want, I want the best for you. That it, I want you to understand that it's my way, in my fallen state, to love you like Christ loves you. The way that Christ loves his church, his bride. So the strong message from all of this, don't be critical. Don't be judgmental. I tell you what, why don't you just turn to the person next to you, whether they're a man or a woman, and just say, don't judge me, bro. Go on, turn to your your neighbor. Just go, don't judge me, bro. I don't know what the equivalent is for women. Sister, don't judge me, sister. You could even say it in an American accent if you like. <laughs> can, I give you, can I give you a small example of what I mean by how we can be judgmental without realizing? Okay, here's this. I really, really detest smoking. And I mean really, really hate smoking. I don't say hate for many things, but I really hate smoking. I have seen three grandparents die in the most horrible ways because of smoking-related diseases. But we're not here to judge negatively and put someone down because they smoke. You know, this is really hard for me. By wanting the best for someone and by strongly encouraging them to quit, I may sometimes come across as holier than thou, like a, a persistent gnat around their face. I may do that. But here's another story that may or may not have happened. Some guy comes up to the pastor of the church and says with disdain in their eyes, I've just seen Bob, one of the church stewards outside the gate, smoking. And the pastor replies, what were they smoking? (laughs) Looking slightly bemused. He replies, 
They were smoking cigarettes. And the pastor smiles and says, praise God, that's amazing. That is such tremendous progress. You should have seen what they were smoking before they became a volunteer. <laughs> Listen, particularly for those of you who do smoke, I don't believe that smokers will go to hell. If you're a born-again believer, I don't believe you'll, you'll go to hell. But you might just get to heaven that little bit quicker. That's just letting that settle in there. That's, I've always got to have an incentive somewhere. My point is, let's not judge. Let's not be critical. We might not know the whole story. And if we only look at the external, we will never know the internal. We can so easily misjudge someone. A guy might have long hair. He might have a mohawk or a fauxhawk or a brohawk. Who cares? Look at that girl. Did you see what she was wearing? She shouldn't be wearing those clothes. Hey, at least she's got clothes on. It's a huge improvement. She's doing better than she once was. Pray for her. Encourage her. Maybe you might want to buy her a jumper. We shouldn't judge someone by who they are, but where they come from. You have no idea the progress they may have made. I can't believe that that church lead guitarist is all tattooed up, Alan. What's wrong with a tattoo? Some people says the Bible says don't get a tattoo. That's not what the Bible says. Summing up some various passages from the Old Testament, the Bible does essentially say this. If you're a priest and a team member of a sacred order, then you shouldn't get a tattoo that identifies you as a member of another religion that worships a false god. So if that's you and you're worshipping a false god, you shouldn't get a tattoo. But for everybody else, go get a Freedom Church tattoo. <laughs> you know, it's splattered on your back, David Beckham style. Maybe even a Jesus tattoo. Stop judging. Stop being critical. In 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, that is Yahweh, looks at the heart. Let's get our minds off other people and whatever it is they're doing wrong, and let's put it back on ourselves. There's the old saying that for every finger you point, there are three pointing back at you. Unify. Get in or get out of the way. Stop rocking the boat and start rowing. Let's do all these things. Let's, let's love. Let's pray for. Let's be involved. Listen. Learn. Unite. Join. Align. Support. Encourage. And edify. Number three, it's time to be committed to people. I am pretty amazed at the commitment of those paralytic man's friends. They could have given up. They could have stopped at the logistics of the scenario, the difficulties of that scenario. It's too full. There's no way. Maybe some of us have done that. Maybe we have a key worker, a co-worker, a neighbor, a family member, and we find ourselves saying, there's no way they'll come to church. I could never see that happening. Why not? Don't give up trying. 
How many of us in here today were that person? It might have been you or you or you. How many of us were that person? How many of us were that person who would have never been caught dead inside that church, even at your own funeral? But today you're in church and the best thing is it's not your funeral. Let's be committed to seeing our friends come to know Jesus in a very real way. Let's get amazing at inviting friends and family to our church. You know, a primary reason for people to try church is because a friend invites them. That's the primary reason. Not, not a fly through the door, not a TV show, not Google. A friend often invites them. Now, I want to reiterate, it's certainly not the only way. It's these other ways do work. It's just the primary way. The number one reason people stay at church, particularly young people, is because their friends are there. It's not the music. It's not the preaching. It's not the kids' Sunday school. Now, don't get me wrong, and I want to hear me right on this as well. These things are important. They're all great, and we certainly need them, and we need to do them well. But the main reason people come to church and stay at their local church is because of their friends or because they make friends very quickly. A recent study commissioned by the Evangelical Alliance, amongst other organizations, found that a massive percentage of people think Christians are really nice. They think we're really nice. Not what the media tells you, that we're all bigots and all this kind of other stuff. Actually, most people, if you ask them, think we're really nice. And would actually come to church if you invited them. They might need asking a number of times. This church won't be on their list of, of high list of priorities. But they would come. So let's be good inviters. We can invite folks to church so easily these days. And in so many different ways. That is a hashtag. I said I would explain it to you. So a hashtag, when you present it like this, with words or, or words like that is there, following it, it's the way that people search through popular topics on social media, um, particularly Twitter, but its, it's usage is growing and it's used on other social media formats. So when f- folks want something to, in quotes, go viral, that is to get the whole world tweeting and sharing the same thing, they attach a hashtag to it. So that all the messages and tweets and retweets can be found in this one search parameter. Do you understand what I mean by that? So when I write this hashtag, when I write this hashtag on social media, which I do, I'm saying a couple of things. I'm saying, yes, I'm genuinely excited about church. Genuinely. But I'm also inviting others to share that excitement too. To gather all the comments of how people are excited about church under one hashtag or under one roof. So let's get ourselves excited about church. Because when we start getting excited about church, we start making local church attractive. Something that others will want to, even out of simple curiosity, come along to. When we're excited about church, we love to gather under one roof or under one hashtag. Praising, worshipping, listening, making new friendships, strengthening old ones. We're giving people something to search for. Something to be a part of. Something that is public and accessible. So, I want to give us all a job this week. And that is to get at least one family member or one friend to come to church next week. 
try your best. I don't mean kidnapping them, putting a hood over their head and bundling them in the back of your car. I mean asking them and asking them again. Bring one person to church. And maybe if they're open, they'll experience the presence of God that we experience in a gathering like this. And that will do so much more than any persuasive arguments or debates could ever do. Get them to church. And look, you have got so many avenues to initiate that invite. Particularly if you're online, you've got Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram. And personally, I've made it really easy for you to invite people. I've made it easy for you to share our website link. I've given you tools through the e-news that you all get sent if you've given me your email address every single week or some one wet day a week on Saturday. I've given you tools through that, through social media posts and all that kind of stuff. You can just share. Make it a mission this week to invite all your friends, let's say all your Facebook friends, if you're on Facebook, I know many of you are, um, to our Sunday service with Chip next week, Chip Kendall. It's going to be amazing. I found out this morning he's going to actually share about Compassion. You know the organization, Compassion? We, we sponsor them. A few of us sponsor them actually in here. And, and we sponsor a child. And it helps them, gives them teaching stuff and, and all that. Somewhere in Africa or other, other needy continents and countries. He's going to share on that. That's going to be, but he's, he's also going to do the worship. And it chips bonkers. It, it's going to be, you know, talk about a mohawk. I'm not judging. That's Chip. It's going to be amazing. Why don't you then take, so if you're on social media and you've seen my invites, why don't you invite all your friends? All I did was invite, click, invite all, done, boom. I didn't go and pick and choose. Even if they're in America, they're invited. <laughs> they can always decline or say no, but that's not your responsibility. It's their responsibility to decline or say no. Your responsibility is to invite. Pick up your responsibility and do the inviting. Now, you could say, well, that's not very personal. Well, I want to make the counter-argument that it's better than nothing. And it could be the very thing that your friend needs to see. It is going to be amazing. But I also sense that as well as Chip being here and kind of leading us in worship, I sense in the spirit that it's going to be significant in so many other ways. I don't know what those ways are. I just know it's going to be significant. And it's going to be a timely, timely Sunday. So get your friends and family invited. Let's get excited about church. And let's raise this school roof. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Look, here are four things that stand out to me in Luke 5. I'd like to think on and take away. How these, these guys in Luke were committed to their friend and bringing him to Jesus. Number one is they went out of their way. They went out of their way. Whatever they were doing that morning or that day or whatever they planned to do, as soon as they got to where they were going, realized they weren't going to be in and out. They were going to spend some time sorting this out. So they were willing to sacrifice time, effort, and energy to get their friend to Jesus. Because, number two, they were persistent. They weren't going to give up for anything. I, I, I imagine they didn't bring tools to break down the roof. So I would have thought they were getting hold of it with their hands and grubby fingers and just ripping it apart. That's persistence, isn't it? To get through what is probably quite a thick roof. And then they took a risk. They were vandalizing somebody's house. (laughs) But they were so desperate. 
to get their friend to Jesus. They were so persistent that they took a risk they were going to get arrested or whatever else you can get done for in those biblical times. They were going to get through that roof and they were going to get their friend to Jesus. They didn't know what the response was going to be. They didn't know how Jesus was going to react to that. They just knew they needed to get their friend to Jesus, so they took a risk. And then they carried the weight of their friend. It's one thing to get, gather, carry somebody, I would imagine, on a, on a stretcher, on a mat. Another thing entirely to start lowering them down to where they needed to go to. They carried the weight. So I want to finish today's talk with these challenging, I said I wasn't going to sugarcoat everything, but I think direct questions. When was the last time you went out of your way to invite someone to church? Helping them to experience the presence of God in an amazing way with other believers. When was the last time you were persistent in this invite? When was the last time you took a risk for someone else? Let's not forget, this is eternal salvation we're talking about. This is people's eternal destination. And if you love your friends and love your family, my goodness, you should be persistent in your inviting. You should be persistent in your prayer. We all should. Listen, I've got family who are not walking with Jesus. They call themselves Christians, but they're not born again. They're not walking with Jesus. And I need to pray more. And if I need to pray more, I know that I'm, I'm average. I know that you'll need to pray more. I need to invite them to church, which I did do. Boom, done. Facebook friends, sorted. But I will ask them as well. And finally, when's the last time you carried the burden of someone else and laid it before Jesus? When was the last time you carried the burden of someone else and just laid it before Jesus? I want you to think. Close your eyes if you don't mind. Just think about friends, about family. Begin to pray for them in your mind and begin to think as well, God, give me a way. Give me a way in. Give me the courage to invite them to church. Give me the courage to talk about Jesus. Just give God some time. In this house... We are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.